what better time to start doing a podcast about politics? I mean, you literally couldn't make this stuff up, could you? It's Well, I mean, in 30 years, none of us have ever seen anything quite like this, have we? We haven't. And you might remember last week, you were giving me a lot of jip. Yeah. Because I was saying, don't you think it's a bit dodgy and difficult if you're Boris Johnson and you've got this young girlfriend who could be a little bit sort of embarrassing at times or a bit volatile... Now look what's happened. Mate, honestly. I, I, was like, I, was I read like, this and I thought, oh no, oh, no he's going right. to be crowing about this. Yeah, well, yeah, imagine yeah. if it happened in Downing Street. But you're absolutely right. You know? And you that know, was, and know, I suppose without... The Chancellor of the Exchequer calling the busies. Well, so without, you know, without, without really necessarily knowing what the details were going to be, this is the kind of thing I was sort of thinking could happen. Yeah. I mean, I know that married couples have rows. I yeah. mean, we've all had rows. I mean, I've certainly had a few plates thrown at me in my time. I'm sure you have. Um, you know, I, was once, I once woke up, right? Um, when I was still married, but I was sort of in the process of splitting up. You might remember, actually, because I came into the mirror yeah. the next day. I woke up, and my wife, now my ex-wife, was punching me in the side of the head repeatedly. This happened to a mate of mine yeah. all the time. She used to just wake him up in the middle of the night yeah. and smack on the nose. And I, and I came into work with a black eye, of course. Well, well it's domestic abuse, yeah. isn't it? And, uh, of course, I just eventually I managed to stop her from hitting me, but I didn't hit her back, because you yeah. don't. Yeah. Um, but she was absolutely going for it, you know, really. And she was what, quite, did, what had you done? Well, I was having an affair. I mean, I mean, it was entirely justified. I mean, we were split up, you know, but yeah, yeah. I wasn't sleeping in the same bed as her. She yeah. came in all the way into the spare Just room to do event. it, you know. Yeah. And I remember coming in and Piers Morgan, who was running the place at the time, we were trying to do a deal with some rugby player who's, whose wife had been cheating on him, you know. And I was trying to get some money out of him. You know how hard that was. I was trying to get five grand out of him for, was the, it Lawrence for the, the Welsh Lawyer? Mirror. No, it no, wasn't. No, that no, was a Welsh Sorry, guy. Lo- Sorry, Lawrence. Sorry, Lawrence. No, no, it wasn't him at all. But I've got some pictures if you want to see him. No. Um... <laughs> So um, we were sort of going backwards and forwards on how much the, pay, the main paper could use it, what they could do with it, blah, blah, blah. And he, and he just stopped and did one of those things. When he looked up from his desk and he said, um, oh, you could give me 10 grand and I won't run your fucking story, whatever it is. Because, <laughs> <laughs> of course, nobody was buying the idea that, you know, I had a black eye from walking into a door. No, that's right. Which yeah. I think was what I was telling people. That's you know, right. Because that's what you always have to say. Or just a, another rough night. At yeah, yeah exactly. And exactly that's right, yeah. But Boris Johnson, right? The next Prime Minister of this country, it looks like still, yeah. you know, has this incredible bust up. I smell a bit of a rat here, though, in terms of The Guardian. I would be very surprised if The Guardian's conversations with that couple, Tom and Eve, only took place on that night. Really? Yeah. Well, you think there's a broader conspiracy oh, yeah. that was dependent yeah, yeah. upon Carrie and Boris? Well, looking at, looking at these two, right, who are absolutely arch anti-Boris people, right? Yeah. They're, you know, she's an activist. You know, she's boasted on Twitter about giving him the finger. They've stuck notices on his car saying, yeah. you know, we'd rather you lived here than Downing Street. That's right. I mean, these are not normal people. No, right? they hate him. Yeah. yeah. So you don't think they would have got in touch with the Guardian and said, oh, guess who's moved in next door to us? Oh, I see. And so, the Guardian uh, say, would oh, you well, be interested in? Dot, yeah. Dot, dot, yeah. And they say, well, why don't you keep an eye out? See what happens. Maybe. Maybe. I mean, I mean, whether that's that's the case or not, it goes into this whole thing about does Boris deserve a private life? Yeah. And, is uh, tape recording a, a massive row yeah. rather than just calling the police? Yeah. That, have you overstepped a line there? Yeah. And, and to be honest with you, if it was you or me, I'd be very hypocritical and say, mind your own bloody business. Yeah. But if it is the next Prime Minister of the mm. UK, and the tape, you know, I haven't heard the tape, but if the tape gives a sense of violence... Yeah, that's the other problem. You know, We're not going to hear the tape. No. And so all we've got now is the word of these characters who yeah. don't sound particularly trustworthy to me. Having said that... And like, the Guardian. But three people called the... The cops, didn't yeah. they? And so it was bad enough for... Th- I mean, I, I mean, God knows, anyone who's married has mm. had huge bust-ups. Yeah. But I can't remember one where 
three people no. would have felt... No, listen, you know, I, got, the guy I got... walking past in, a, in actual fact, I haven't got a problem with anyone ringing the police. I haven't got a yeah. problem even with them selling the story to the Guardian, because that's what people do. Yeah. The problem I've got um, is that Boris was living like that. I mean, what was he thinking? Yeah. You know, I mean, I'm, she may be a very forthright woman, and she might have said to him, well, this is my flat, and this is where I'm staying, so if you want to be with me, you have to be here. Yeah. But surely it would have made sense for him to get, a, you know, a house behind a gate... That was. I mean, it's not like short of a few bob, or, or or a big flat in one of these concierge buildings where they've got security, where nobody can come in, mm. and all the neighbours are either Russians or Arabs. They don't care if you're killing people and chopping them up. You know what I mean? Yeah. Not that, of course, Boris was doing anything like that. <laughs> no. But you know, what I mean? that was George Osborne. Yes, yes, that's another story. So listen, I've got a great story. Yeah, and it all seeks in nicely to this. Okay. At the inquiry, the Tony Blair inquiry, Piers Morgan... Who Which is the Chilcot inquiry. The Chilcot inquiry. Yeah. Piers Morgan was editing the mirror right. and thought, we'd get one of the Watergate reporters over, right? Uh-huh. So the one we landed on was Carl Bernstein. Oh, dear. Right. Exactly. Oh, dear. Right. So, so we... So the, 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 the note... And I did the deal, you know, come over, Carl, we fly your mm. first class and you yeah. sit in the inquiry. I think I remember this. It was the day that Blair was giving evidence. Yeah. Right? So... I got a message from Richard Wallace, who mm. was editing the Sunday Mirror at the right. time, I think, and the message just said, you got the wrong one. Woodward's the same one. Bernstein's the drunk. Yeah, he right. is. And totally. So, and so Carl Bernstein, like the great Watergate reporter, mm. arrives in the Mirror's office, and he's knackered. He right. hasn't slept anything, and it, and it looks like he might have partaken. So he's been on an overnight flight. flight. And he sits in the uh, Chilcot Inquiry, right. and within 10 minutes falls asleep, right? <laughs> and sleeps throughout the Chilcot Inquiry. Right. Comes back to the office, right. and we're in a state of panic because we're like, what's he going to write? Because in those days, you wanted the big read, didn't you? you oh, it was like, like meant fucking... to be 2,000 yeah, yeah. words, you know, from right. Mr. Watergate. Right. And he, we lock him in Piers' office, mm. and he starts... I remember the intro, and it used the word magisterium twice in the intro. Magisterium? Right? Magi- oh, yeah. The magisterium of Tony right. Blair, dot, dot, dot. And he used it again in the same sentence. And so I had to write Carl Bernstein's splash yeah. copy from that, having watched the thing on the BBC <laughs> News all day. So I, so I get this byline, by, you know, by Carl Bernstein, yeah, yeah. and it's me. And we've got away with it. It's a good piece, right. and off it goes. And at the last minute, so Bernstein mustn't know, because we haven't used a single word of his piece. <laughs> and and the last minute, the chief sub comes up, with a, who's a massive Bernstein and Woodward fan, and comes up with a proof of page one. Right. And, and I remember Des Kelly, who we're going to talk about yeah, in a moment, yeah. Jumping in, and he said, Here you are, Mr. Bernstein. Here's your page one. Oh, and, Des, yeah. and Des grabbed it and stuck it in the ball <laughs> and threw it in a bin and said, It's an early draft car. You don't want to yeah, see you it. Don't see that. And he went back to his hotel and was off the next day. And to my knowledge, never Probably had a never clue about it. it. No. no. And I wrote, wrote Carl Bernstein. To be honest, coffee. Bernstein used to spend more time in the lanes in New York than he spent anywhere else. Right. And that was the kind of upmarket, sort of upper east side yeah. hangout for people yeah. who were famous. Yeah. Um, and, and, and run by this amazing Jewish woman called Elaine, who yeah. had a real soft spot. For a few people, and I'll tell you, funny enough, we should segue into Elaine's because Elaine's is now shut, yeah. but it features in the Looming Tower quite a lot because it was one of those bars. It was a little bit like an upmarket Vagabonds, if you remember Vagabonds, yes. which was full of you know sort of high-ranking cops, uh, FBI yeah. guys. The this mafia, was Terry Venable's place, wasn't the, it? Yeah, the mafia um, journalists. Yeah. You know, yeah. she had a real soft spot for a guy called Mickey Brennan, who was an English photographer. Yeah, I know. Um, who used to be. Uh, he got photographer of the year then lost his license for being pissed and driving so he moved to America brilliant photographer fantastic guy but constantly um, in fights with people because he used to get so drunk yeah. and there was a time in the 80s when he wasn't just drinking he was also playing, playing along with the old Colombian marching power <laughs> and she had a, um, a round table and actually I went in there once with my then wife 
and Michael Caine was sitting at the table. Yeah. And he looked up at her and winked at her, and it was the happiest day of her life. She's like, <laughs> oh my God, Michael Caine just winked at me. Like, and I was like, well, wink back at him, you know, fucking he might invite us to the table. <laughs> Brennan was invited to this table quite a lot, right? And he told me this great story of when um, he'd, 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 normally he'd spend half the afternoon in, in Costello's and the next half of the afternoon aiming to rounds. By the time he got to a late, he was done. Yeah. He was toasted, you know. And he's sitting there and um, he said, all I, all I could hear was this fucking guy's voice droning on and on and on about the movie business and this, that. And he said, finally, I turned around, he sounded a bit like Dudley Moore. He finally said to this guy, he said, look, mate, he said, I'm sick to death listening to you. What do you fucking know about the movie business anyway? And the guy goes, my name's Kirk Douglas. <laughs> so pissed that he didn't recognise him. You know, Kirk Douglas is still alive. Yeah, amazing. Amazing. All my family are Evertonians. Yeah. My grandfather played for Everton. Right. And I became a Liverpoolian because right. I was watching them in 77, yeah. you know, as a, right. as a young kid, watching yeah, yeah. everything in Europe. So yeah. it was irresistible. But yeah, well, that's right. Treacherous. Yeah, because I became a Man United fan because I saw them win the European Cup in 19, yeah. I was eight years old, 1968. Yeah. And it was George Best, Bobby Charlton, you know, it was just fantastic. Amazing. You know, I mean, and also in those days, I mean, again, going back to Mickey Brennan uh, and and the old days, the good old days of people like uh, George Best and, uh, and Rodney Marsh, who I got to know later on, going over to America. Who, Rodney Marsh? Uh, Rodney Marsh went and played for the Tampa Bay Rowdies. Oh, right. And he's still over there now. I mean, he's, yeah. he still basically lives in America. And you know him? Um, yeah, because well, through Talk Sport, he used to come of over course, and he used course, to appear quite a lot. Very funny guy. Nice I, guy. I, I used to have the other interaction with him on Twitter because yeah. um, he's very funny on Twitter as well. But I mean, you know, the stories of, of, of George Best. There was a, there was a woman called Anthea Disney, um, who ended up running. Um, I think she ended up running Harper Collins in America, um, but she was a British, rather attractive young female journalist. Went to interview George Best, and ended up spending a weekend with him. Never came back. Never came out of the room. <laughs> I mean, this guy was legendary. I mean, forget about all the stories. This, this is a genuine story, yeah. which he used to do all the time. And I had something like that with Stan Collymore once at the Mirror. Oh, really? Oh, yes. I well, mean, I think Stan, by his own admission, is mm. a sexaholic. He is a bit, yeah. And uh, He's blocked me on Twitter, Stan. I introduced him to a girl, and that was the last time really? I spoke to him, yeah. Yeah, he well, the less, less I sunset. say about Stan yeah. Collymore, probably the better. You have to read it in my book, <laughs> which is coming out at the end of the year. But that's, I'll that's, t- I've, got, I've got the best Stan Collymore story Have ever. you? Oh, is yeah. it worth? Can you tell it? Though? I can tell it, yeah. Because I've got loads of great Stan Collymore stories. I can't. No, no, tell. no honestly, this is a true story. Because right. we bought up Stan Collymore's um, autobiography, okay, and it was, you know, it was a really interesting read. I don't think we do it these days. It was all about how, you know, the circumstances around him hitting Ulrika in Paris oh, yeah. and all of this business and and his problems with As witnessed by the Tartan Army and Ali McCoy. Yeah, no, because that that's why. Because yeah. they were winding him up, you know, right. and. Uh, um, anyway, inexcusable, obviously, but you know he, he talked through the whole story. So we had three or four days of this uh, revelation, mm. and on the last day, and we'd paid something like one hundred and twenty thousand pounds for this book, yeah. right? Unthinkable right. now. You never pay anything like that. Well, I mean, nowadays books get written just yeah. for the money they get from the book serialization and nothing else. That's right. That's right. right. But in those days, you got a book like that, and you could put on ten percent sales yeah. every day for right. four or five days, so it made sense. Anyway, the last day, the night at about nine o'clock, mm. I'm, I've just got home, and I get this phone call from his agent, a fellow called Simon Kennedy, oh, yeah. and he says, uh, "Matt, look, I've got some stands." got some extraordinary news. He's, right. in, he's in a lot of trouble. And I said, oh, Christ, what's he done? You right. know? And he said, I, I can't tell him. I can't tell you. He's going to have to tell you right. himself. Right? He's right here with me. So I'll pass you over. Right. And I was like, bloody hell, what on right. earth is this? And so Stan comes on the phone. He says, yeah, Matt, it's Stanny. Look, uh, the thing is, I've been caught jogging. And I went, <laughs> oh, mate, you haven't, have you? 
Stan, what's dogging? Yeah. Like, so no one had any right. idea. And he said, well, what happens is, and then he described what dogging right. was, and my jaw is on the floor. Yeah. I'm like, oh my God, who's caught you, Stan? Right. Uh, the Sun newspaper, they've got photographs of me in the act. Oh I was God. like, oh my God, this is it. Right. So I phoned Piers Morgan, who was the editor. Yeah. Right, and I got some quotes off Stan. I phoned Piers Morgan and I said, Piers, I've got some extraordinary So you're assuming news. the son are running this today? Yeah, no, they, he, they, they, they've approached him for right. comments. And right. he's, you know, it's like pictures with like that kind of green night yeah, yeah. stuff of I, Stan. I, I mean, I remember the story. Of Stan Collymore leering over like a Ford Escort, right. you know, with this woman inside. Well, this was when we all discovered this amazing thing that went on in car talking. parks where you'd have, if your lights were on... It yeah. meant something. If well, your side I, lights are on, it means something else. I honestly think I introduced the word to the nation because right. I phoned Piers and yeah. said, right, here's the news. Stan Collymore has been caught dogging. Right. And Piers said to me, bloody hell, has he? What's dogging? <laughs> <laughs> so I had to explain right. to Piers what dogging was. Yeah. And I went, oh my God. So right. then rushed back to the office, got it all over the front page. Yeah. And we had that morning... On the Daily Mirror front page, Stan Collymore, my dogging shame. Yes, right? And right. It, it was a better front page than the Sun's. Did you have brackets? If you well, want to look, find out what dogging well, is, this is, please the point. turn to page 78. I just know there was like two million mirror readers <laughs> that morning going, dirty bastard, what's dogging? What's dogging, yeah. <laughs> but here's the thing, you know, we have suddenly developed into this bizarre country. I mean, I can't believe, when you see the likes of Jolien, what's his face, you know, that QC, More, who yeah. probably also writes for you. A very upstanding member of society. But, I mean, the bloke is a complete plank. And when all he's he does... Not, he's just well, he is. No, he's, about his... no he's got a one-track mind, right? Yeah. Spends, I mean, if I was married to that guy, I'd say, get off Twitter right now, mate, because yeah. you're spending your life there and you're going to lose your marriage and you lose your kids and you lose everything else unless you stop <laughs> being do, an obsessive. I do agree. That. He's obsessed, right? Yeah. now, And he's not yeah. the only one. There's loads of them. Yeah. And all they do is do these threads, right? Screeds, thousands of words. Yeah. And it's like, for Christ's sake, mate. And they're all just being passed around by the same yeah. people. Yeah, you know? yeah. Oh, isn't this great? We Excellent can stop Brexit this way. Blah, blah, blah. Oh, yeah. my God. I mean, literally, yeah. you would drive yourself insane if you even read it. Honestly, I, well, I've told you, I mean... Twitter to me is now once once you come off it as it's I dead done, to me. It is, is it is dead to you and it, yeah. once you come off it it doesn't exist. You realise that, yeah. It just That's interesting. It's, it's a wholly parallel mm. universe yeah. that is populated by people who aren't quite themselves. Yeah, you know? no, they're really not. And it's also the place where people who are obsessives can go and get sort of comfort and succor yeah. and that's why it's dangerous. But when did we become? I mean, we grew. I grew up with with some very healthy kind of you know Saturday night comedians taking the piss out of politicians, right? Now, what we have is if you take the piss out of a politician that one side likes, then you're a creep and you're a ghastly individual. And and the same goes for the other side. You know, when did we stop becoming cynical and when did we suddenly become partisan? Mm. And this is one of my continuing refrains as to why we need politicians to make our lives any better. Mm. Because they're not not doing it really, are they? They're not. Um, I saw a great quote the other day and it said, Cats are happier than humans because they don't read newspapers. Right. And I think there's a lot of truth in that. You know, the whole media, the whole it's worse of than Westminster. That. crap all over them, don't they, most they of the time? shit on newspapers. <laughs> Absolutely appropriate response. <laughs> Apart from the New European, obviously. Of course. But um, I, I do think that it, it has become incredibly corrosive, mm. except to say... There is probably, and it was, I did this thing with Rod Little. You had him on the show. I did. The it was very good, actually. Now, yeah, so Rod Little uh, has completely different views to me on yeah. a lot of things and is despised by a lot of people right. and told me, you know, just as you walk down the street and people say, are you Mike Graham? Yeah. And generally say, great show. Yeah. He'll, he'll get 50-50. He'll right. get, look he'll get what abuse, you're saying, yeah. or he'll get, see you next Tuesday. Right. Right. And 
He, he, so he's very divisive. Mm. Uh, but I was able to sit across the table from him yeah, as yeah. I'm sitting across the table from him. Yeah, but you're now. an unusual beast in this uh, particular think so? fight, though. Yes, you are, because you don't lose the plot. You don't think I'm an idiot because I'm quite happy to leave the European Union. Yeah. Whereas many people that you employ or that you have writing for your newspaper would say that. Well, I don't know if that's true, to be honest. I think people feel the need to express themselves strongly mm. just to get noticed. And this is my point, yeah. is that... To, you to, think that's what it is? I think it's... And I think it starts at Twitter. This is where what I said to Rod was, what really terrifies me about social media is that because because it's such an instant format and because it feels like it's not kind of, you know, set in stone or anything, it's quite transient, yeah, yeah. you get people uh, tweeting things that they then have to stand behind. Yeah. And you see home secretaries, for instance, tweeting things that six months later become white papers yeah. and are in danger of becoming law. So yeah. that's where policy is now starting in these instant short reactions. Yeah. And I just don't think, you know, if you look at the complexity of what we're dealing with, part of the problem to me is, is this need to reduce everything to mm. a soundbite or a tweet right. or something you can stick on the side of a bus. Yeah. You know, it's like the... But that's the nature of things. And it's always mm. been the nature of journalism for me to well, simplify... To um, and that's why I've always preferred, in a way, to work for tabloid newspapers than I have for broadsheets. Because broadsheets, while some of them are very good at what they do, they can sometimes get a little bit caught up in the whole vortex yeah. of, you know, trying to be cleverer than everybody else. Whereas with tabloids, we're trying to make it simpler for people, trying to get people to be able to understand basically what is being said and what is going on. That's very true. And I think that's a very special skill that very few journalists have actually got. Yeah. And I think you and I have had to have it. So I'm not, you know, patting us on the back for, for anything. Yeah. But I mean, the reason that we worked where we worked was because that was what we wanted to do. That's right. And I think the problem now is that everybody wants to be an expert. And you can't be an expert on everything. You can't suddenly know everything. Don't you think it's setting up now for a general election? Isn't he kind of pleasing a lot of people, lots of people? A lot of people seem to be saying that. Yeah. I, don't, I don't quite see the logic of that yet, because you, you may well be right. It could well be that he's, he's, he's aiming to have um, a general election. He did say in one of the hustings that he would not have a general election before we left the European Union. So if you take him at his word, then that means he won't be doing it before we leave. Yeah. But he may well say, we leave on October the 31st, yeah. and then he calls the general election. Well, he may, Or, more likely in my view, he yeah. may get into that logjam in Parliament, mm. which he will do, uh, and he'll say, OK, you said I can't prorogue Parliament. Yeah. You've said uh, we can't have no deal. Mm. Um, you, there's no deal you guys will accept. The European Union won't budge an inch. Yeah. The only way I can see any chance of us getting through this is for a general election and for me to return with a proper working majority... Yeah. Which will and the mandate will be to leave, yeah. and then no one can argue the toss. And yeah. in a, in a way, he'd be right. Oh, he know? would be right, and that may be one of his strategies. He, the other strategy may be that he's going to make Europe blink, and he's going to make the EU shit themselves to such an extent where they go, "Hang on a minute, this guy actually does mean business." He's already said that he's not going to bother going to visit them. He's already said that he's only going to send his minions if that's what they want to talk to somebody about, mm. which is already sticking two fingers up to them, right? Because they're saying already, "Oh, we look forward to hearing your, uh, you know, your detailed conversations yeah. about this." Well, he's not going to do that. Yeah. So I think they will suffer as much as we would suffer uh, over a no deal. So they don't want it. But you had the head. I mean, I think this has been the whole spirit of his leadership bid was that he could, he, you know, he'd go in tough and optimistic. And he'd get us a new deal, mm. and the backstop could get slung out. Right. Because well, that he's calling good... that dead, isn't he? He's calling yeah. it dead in the water. So, so the, I don't think the EU are going to budge an inch. They, the, well, hey, and here's the thing: why it's yeah. not often discussed. This the, 
it, and this is a problem born of the size of the EU and something. So this is an anti-EU sentiment that right. I've got sympathy with. Because of the number of small nations in the EU now, yeah. you've got 28 at the moment, 27 yeah. to be, most of them small nations yeah. that don't really get the airtime that Germany, France, yeah. Spain, Britain gets. Ireland's one of those smaller yeah. nations. If the other small nations see Ireland being hung out to dry or yeah. thrown under the bus, yeah. they will then group together mm. and start causing a lot of trouble for the France-Germany yeah. axis. And and that could then lead to the end of the EU. Listen, I don't think. I don't think. So I don't think they'll move. I don't think. I don't think, I don't think there's any doubt about that because I think the trouble with the EU at the moment is twofold. It is powerfully driven by Emmanuel Macron and Angela Merkel, both of whom are domestically under terrible pressure and who are not going to be around for very much longer. Now they'll probably sit and get themselves jobs as commissioners or something like that. Mm. But the French and the German countries, as such, are losing the grip of the power that they've got i.e. the two uh, individuals concerned. And so, you know, once they go as individuals, Angela Merkel has pretty much been the, the project maker of the EU, right? She's the woman to go to for everything. And she's not there. That could change everything. Mm. That could really change an awful lot of things. And I just think that the EU will have to take account of that. They'll also have to take account of the fact that an awful lot of the economies of the Mediterranean countries are failing. You know, they've got migration problems all over the place. I mean, it is an absolute shitstorm yeah. over there. Yeah. And what the last thing they need is for Britain to be kicking off over to the left, yeah. you know, and making it really, really difficult for, for European businesses to deal and make money in Britain. Well, I, I, think, I mean, there's that. certainly truth to that. Uh, the, the one thing, the miscalculation I think people are making, maybe yourself included, mm. is how strongly Merkel and those business people underneath her feel about mm. the four freedoms of the EU, for instance. Like the, the head of the German car industry was saying the other day, you know, Yes, we'll take a bath on this. It's going to hurt us hard. But what's more important to us is the is the four freedoms of the European Union. Mm. That this is a long, long term thing. We'll get over the blip with Britain, but we will not sacrifice the European project. Yeah, but they must know the European project is in peril. It's certainly, said, certainly in peril. Yeah, yes, you know, nothing stays the same. And by the way, I've always been. I've never been one of these kind of flag bearers mm. for the European Union as it stands. Right. I think there's a lot wrong with it, and there's a lot should change. But yeah. it's always been my position that the only way you can change something is to be part of the. I agree. The table, However, you know. we tried all that. You know, we tried changing it from within, and it what didn't you, work. Yeah, but do you remember Cameron going over before the referendum mm. and basically being told to bugger off? Yeah. by I think if if we went back now, right? I know this is an impossibility. But if we went back to the European Union and said, all right, folks, here's the deal. Right. We'll come back. We'll cancel all this stuff. But here's what's got to change. Mm. You've got to sort out immigration mm. because it's an absolute joke at yeah. the moment. You've got to help out those countries uh, and, and get rid of the euro, those countries you've hung out to dry. Mm. And you've got to stop all this common agricultural policy Nonsense. and the fisheries yeah. policy that's that's killing yeah. our industries over here i think europe would say no problem i'm sure they would and yeah. that tells you but where they that, are but wouldn't no. that be a better place for us well, no because that would mean that whoever led that uh, uh, coup in europe and whoever took that message to them from here would be an absolute pariah mm. and would never get into power again because that would be a betrayal of the vote a betrayal of the referendum yeah You'll enjoy this. I saw a very funny tweet from Samantha Quack, who you'll know, the former hockey player, yeah. who's a sort of bit of a personality now. Yeah, yeah. Uh, follows me on Twitter. Does she? Which yeah. I'm very pleased about. Very good. Um, and occasionally comments on things that I do. But she's a big Liverpool fan. Yeah. And uh, she put out a tweet the other day 
um, because they unveiled the new plans for the new Everton Stadium. That's right. It looks amazing. Yeah, it does. Yeah. And she addressed, as if it was addressed, a letter to Liverpool Planning Council saying, you know, the planning department saying, excuse me, could you please explain why you've included a trophy cabinet <laughs> in, in the plans for this new stadium? It doesn't appear that it will be required. That's my favourite. I love that. My favourite football joke is two, two, two men broke into the trophy room, into the um, trophy room at Everton last night and made their escape. Police are looking for two men with a blue carpet. <laughs> it's great, isn't it? But I mean, it's going to take. Why do they take so long to make stadiums in this country? Because that's going to take yeah. forever. It's not. But it's really... in a, I mean, if if people haven't seen it, then it's worth googling because yeah. it's in. It's right on the waterfront. Yes. And it is going to change the way Liverpool looks. Right. I mean, it's a huge stadium. So on how the far is it from Stanley Park, where it currently is? Well, about two miles, about okay. two or three miles. I mean, that's one yeah. of the things that's always amazed me about Liverpool is that the yeah. two stadiums are, are so, very close yeah. together, right on on yeah. uh, on the across right. each other on the park. Although apparently, and I don't know this because I've been there or seen it, but Dundee and Dundee United are literally across the street. Is that right? I didn't apparently. know that. Yeah, yeah apparently. In Dun- I didn't just share a stadium. Not, well, because they wouldn't, would they? I mean, that's yeah. always the argument, isn't it? Why yeah. don't you just share a stadium? I went to uh, to a Juventus game at uh-huh. the old Stadi dell'Alpi, oh, yeah. and, and Juventus used to share the share the, the, the stadium with Torino, right? Right. And it was like that, you know, it was like Liverpool and Manchester yeah. sharing a stadium. And after every game, whoever it was would just rip all the seats out. <laughs> Lock them onto the pitch. They had to stop it because it could be That's too like much. That's like the old games. They had this uh, went on, I think, last season and probably the season before. That whenever there's a game, um, you know, either at Celtic Park or at Ibrox, you know, these, the opposing fans just come and wreck everything. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They just start ripping apart oh, no, the no. toilets, yeah. ripping the sinks out. <laughs> it's awful, really, though, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. I mean, you know, people talk about football. Um, you know, being a man's game and, you know, the fact that the women's football was brilliant this summer because it didn't have any hooligan aspect, you know, they weren't falling about diving all over the place. Yeah. And there was no horrible language being shouted from the stands and it was a place you could take your kids because I still feel, and I think I've said this to you before, I still feel slightly queasy about taking my sons to Premier League football yeah. anywhere yeah. because, you know, unless you're kind of in a box, and I don't necessarily want to do it that way. Yeah. You, you do hear some horrible stuff. Well, mate, one of the first games my dad ever took me to, uh, I think it was to Goodison, actually. Cause my, so we're a mixed family. So yeah. my, all my family are Evertonians, apart from me. And, right. uh, and my dad was working so on... So will the they take you to the new Everton Stadium? Yeah, well, I'm hoping that... I mean, I think, it's, I think the Everton Stadium's going to be there in 2023 or something like yeah. that. So my dad is getting on a bit, right. but I am hoping and praying that uh, I can accompany him to, to a game at right. the, uh, the new stadium. It would make his... Make his day, but the uh, I remember being taken. I must have been about six, yeah. and was taken to this game at Goodison Park, and it was m- my dad and me, and then this drunk bloke next to us on the <laughs> on the stairwell, right? And this fellow was effing and blind, right. and my dad hates swearing, yeah. right? hates it, and yeah. I was very conscious of this. And after about twenty minutes of this guy, fuck it, I turned, I tapped him on the shoulder. And said, "Do you mind not swearing, please?" Yeah. This guy went berserk. Right. Tried to grab me. Really? Yeah. So my dad had him by the collar. So it was all kicking. How off, old were you at this point? I'd have been about six. This little, Jesus. this little so precocious. The guy went for you. Yeah, yeah. No, the guy was incensed at this precocious. Yeah, but that's the ludicrous yeah, nature yeah, of it, wasn't yeah, it? I mean, yeah. that's the trouble. <laughs> and it's, it's for you. Is Liverpool Everton still the big game for you? Then, or not really? Uh, no, not really. Uh, and this will hurt all the Evertonians. Yeah, the big game is, is worst, Liverpool Manchester United. That's yeah. worse than anything. So I mean, well, in fact, know. now the big game is Liverpool Man City, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And funnily enough, we said at the end of the last podcast we didn't mention Piers Morgan, but I mean, I always remember <laughs> Piers. The, the thing that he hated the most about Arsenal's demise 
was that nobody took him seriously. No one, bo- no one he was said bothered. Manchester him. United don't care. Yeah. Liverpool don't care. Yeah. Even Spurs actually don't care That's anymore right. about playing Arsenal. That's right. Which is like a dagger to the it's heart terrible. for anyone who it's thinks terrible. of their club as like this top six scenario, yeah. you know? You have to sort your own life out and you have to deal with your own kids and you have to deal with your own parents and you have to deal with all the bullshit in between. You have to get your work sorted out. None of that is governed by the government. Well, this is the classic... Unless and until Cormier gets in, which gets I'm obviously well, leaving the country. This is the classic left-wing versus right-wing ideology, isn't it? Like the right-wing, small government, yeah. people make money, pr- prosper, that will all trickle down. Left, yeah. left side looking at it from reverse and saying, you know, we've got to look after the people who can't yeah. do that... And, and, but and all of that, we, and all of that, we do pretty well in this country. I would yeah, say, I would compared say, to a lot of other countries. Yeah, I mean, we yeah. with, we with we, we tread a reasonable middle ground. Yeah. You know, very few people, despite what you hear in the mirror about you know food banks everywhere. Well, that's and, true though, isn't it? Yeah, but if you open a place and give stuff away for free, loads of people are going to go there. If you open a fucking TV shop and said you come and have a free TV, uh, yeah. there'd be a line around the corner. Well, there would be, but I don't think you can dismiss completely the fact that you've got young mothers and families demeaning themselves going into food banks. I don't think they food. are demeaning themselves. Well, I think, you know, the point is... I think is, they is probably that, think they are. Well, maybe why they're doing it then. Because they can't afford food. Well, why are they having kids if they can't afford food? Oh, come on, man. That's true, though. No, I, mean, but, I mean, you know, I was now talking this of, is getting like eugenics. Well, no, it's not. Theresa May, right, is now talking about giving uh, men 12 weeks off for maternity leave, yeah. right? Now, some men can't afford to take 12 weeks off. But therefore, we'll have to give them the money to do so. Now, I'm not interested in paying for somebody else's children or paying for somebody else to have children. It's yeah. not a fucking human right. If you can't afford to have them, you don't have them. What if what if someone has children and falls on hard times? Well, then they've got a welfare system that they can uh, get benefits this from. This is a welfare system. Why? Should, how could you deny the right of somebody to have a child if the you know well, in any circumstance? Well, because you don't have the right to have a child unless you can look after a child. You know that's like saying you should be able to have a child no matter what your circumstances are. Which, of course, you can, but then I shouldn't be paying for it. And you shouldn't be moaning about the fact that somebody down the road from me who can't look after themselves or their child should be paid for by me. Why should I? I take a more compassionate view. Do you? I I do. And I think that the weakest and the poorest should be looked after. But But they are looked after. That's my point. Now 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 we're asking to give me more money. But you're saying that we should stop looking after... I didn't say that. I said, no, all I said was that if you can't afford to have children, you should not have them. Okay, I'm a, not empowered. Right. I'm not empowered to stop you having. In one. a kind of middle class, comfortable way, would I, you know? I've got three kids. Would I have four? No, probably not, because you know everything. Well, because you might have to think about monumentally it. more expensive. Yeah, but you know, if you're. Uh, but if you got no fucking money, apparently you can have six kids and not worry about it. Well, okay, I, I, it does. It it's not right. It's not. E- it's see, not even, is it? And you see, the, the, the reason that irritates me is. That that then opens up those extremes open up a broader criticism yeah. of people who you know do deserve a help and a leg up. You know? Well, there's no doubt that we want to have a welfare system in this country, and we do have a welfare yeah. system. But there's also no doubt that in some cases the welfare system is abused, and in some cases people who are used to being given stuff. I've just given up on life and I've just decided, well, there's no point in me ever working because I'd never be able to get the same money. No doubt. And of course, the evil Tories then try and cap it at 26. Can you believe there was a row because 26,000 wasn't enough free money? <laughs> Are you fucking kidding me? That's the average wage. I mean, what does a guy drives a white van around London for 12 hours a day supposed to do? Well, and he, he, these are the guys. It's the working people who are getting screwed here. Well, I think the danger in this conversation is that when we, you present, I mean, they're facts. You know, there are yeah. people who are sponging off the state yeah. and doing it very cynically. But many, many fewer than I think 
you or I would believe. I'm sure, I'm sure that's true. And, and yet it becomes then, the, the, the argument changes into this argument about people ripping us off. You know, yeah. we're paying for... For these well, we are, people, yeah, but we, you know, there's always going to be a few people who, who yeah, piss, but well, piss welfare should be for aside from you know people who are unable to work, like the disabled, for example. Yeah. But that's not even true because that would be doing the disabled a fucking disservice to of say course, that if you're yeah. disabled, you yeah. can't work. Yeah. The point is, is that you know, it's meant to be a safety net, like yes, for people who fall on hard times. It's not meant to be a way of life. Yeah, no, that I would agree be with my that. point. I agree, with and that. I think for a lot of families, and unfortunately, yeah. it's maybe not their fault. Yeah. But for a huge generation and generations before them and generations before them, people haven't had a job. You think it's swung too far? I think it perpetuates, mm. um, you know, the system. Well, uh, I can remember, right, when I left school after my A-levels, didn't go to uni, but I left yeah. school after my A-levels and I then got a work experience job on Southport Fairground right. for, for months. So I was in work after a Were few you getting months. paid or not? But I was getting, yeah, I was getting paid. Yeah. But it was a working job. I was getting dole money. Right from I remember going to, with your gyro right as you know a newly unemployed person because I right. just left school and getting I don't know forty seven quid a week. Or why something are you like doing this. that? Why are you getting that? Because that was my entitlement. But you must have signed on then. I, so you didn't have signed to. On. No, well, I you didn't, didn't have to. Of course, I could have opted out, yeah. but I didn't opt out. So you're a fucking hypocrite, in other words. I'm not a hypocrite. Yeah, I'm you just are. saying that was. I'm, what I'm you took to say, what you didn't need. <laughs> Right? <laughs> well, what, it was are there. you suggesting that you're just proving all, my point? We should all calibrate our needs now. Well, no, and, but you shouldn't take money for free if you're not entitled to no, it. No, but in, Mike, in those days, that, that that was what everyone did. You signed on, you got your dole, and when you got a job, you signed off, and you didn't get your dole. That was the state of the. I mean, you go back and watch Boys well, you from did the Black both, stuff. though, right? No, I didn't. No, no, no. I signed on. Well, I never dole. signed on. Well, good for you. Well, not good for me. I worked my ass off. I was working in a bakery. So you, you know, you, you eight went straight into a morning. job, yeah. Great. I, I wasn't as well. Well, no, I didn't go straight into a job. I went to university, but I, but I worked from the age of 14. To, so who was paying for your university, by the way? Who was? Yeah. The taxpayer. That's right. Yeah. Me. Well, yeah, so you, you weren't, got, you weren't you alive. You got 27 grand's worth of university education. I got no, six weeks of 47 I only, did, I only did two years and it wasn't worth it. You did well that. out of the state, mate. I wouldn't be complaining. No, I didn't do very well because I didn't did. graduate. They didn't teach me properly. So In fact, even if I worse, could go fucking go back and sue them. Even worse, you should refund the state. Sue them. <laughs> you should give the bloody money back. Why? The state invested all that money into you and yeah, but you look did at nothing what, with it. Look at what they get from me now, though. Well, I mean, I'm already paid for my education many times over. Thank I you very much indeed. Thanks to Mr. <laughs> fucking George Osborne, who's meant to be a Tory <laughs> chancellor. Do you know what the tax rate is now on dividends if you own a company? No idea. Well, you know what it used to be? It used to be zero, right? Yeah. Now, 32%. Is it? I'm not joking. Good Lord. So these better start selling. There was a guy on the radio the other day, a French guy, the mm. guy who runs Calais Port. He's previously said there won't he, be a problem. He has, but he said, then they pulled him up and yeah. they said, but... If, if there's imports into Calais and they haven't got the right papers because no one's got the right papers, will you then just wave them through? Yeah. And he said, oh, no, they'll have to. Of course they'll have to have the right but papers. But there's 8,000 lorries a day. Man. Yeah. Well, the they'll have said, to have the right papers then, the, won't the they? The guy said they'll be queuing back to Manchester. Well, that, that's how long yeah, the queue they, would be. They've got queues all the way up the M20 about five times in the summer when mm. the bloody French go on strike or they decide to take August off. Like they do yeah. every year. Yeah, but it's not you something know. you'd vote for, is it? Well, it's not something I'd vote for, but it's just called life. It's what happens, you know? Well, it's not life now. I quite like life as it is without well, 8,000 I can tell you that there will, the be, there will be plenty of lorries stuck on the M20 between now and the end of the summer holidays because the French go on strike. They don't bloody work on a Monday, the French, most of them. They don't work <laughs> after five o'clock. You know, this is a country... Where did you read this? Was it by Boris Johnson in the Telegraph? No, I've been to France, actually, believe it or not. <laughs> You try going anywhere in France on a Monday. 
right? <laughs> Anything that is owned by the state is shut. Is that right? And that includes the Palace of Versailles, where I tried to go. That also includes Notre Dame Cathedral before it burnt down. It includes any other part of Paris Your that happens to be a museum. Your entire worldview is based on having a lousy Monday on holiday. No, well, no, but it? it's based on my this own experience as opposed from. to the shit that I've listened to from people on the BBC or from other people's experiences. These are actually from my own experiences. Yes. Places that I've been, people that I've met. In August... The whole of the south of France is full of people from the north of France because they all take most of August off. They if you work for the government, you don't even work at all yeah. in August. But that's, that's a that, fact. I think that's very civilised. Well, it may well be civilised, but the world doesn't come to an end. We, can't, we don't stop exporting stuff through the ports of Calais and we don't stop taking ferries to Brittany and going on holidays because most of France is shut down, do we? Well, we'll see. We'll see. Uh, you know, this is the tragic gamble we're in is that we'll see. You know, we'll, we'll, we'll see. Know. You we think will you see. know, I think I know. No, I don't no think I know. I don't tell you that everything's going to be absolutely tickety-boo and perfect. No. Because life isn't like that. You can't tell me that every year of your life has been perfect, can you? Not every year. No. I mean, just the one you got married in, right? And the, year, the, the, the years that Liverpool won the European <laughs> Cup. But apart from those years, yeah. things go wrong. Yeah. Your kids get injured. Yeah. You know, you have to take them to hospital. Yeah. You know, you get fired. Shit happens, but that's, and that's life. It's true. It's true. I just never wished any of those bad things onto myself. If I could have avoided any of those bad things, I would have done. And that's where this, I guess, is our really? fundamental difference. You see, I disagree. Self harm. Every time I've been fired, yeah, it's actually turned out to be a good thing. No, that's, it didn't yes. feel like a good thing at the time. That's a very but good. But later, point. it much, was much better. That's a very good point, and, and that could, could be the case. And when I left the mirror in 2012, yeah. I thought it was a disaster, right. and it turned out to be my second life. You know, it really. Look at Piers Morgan. Right. Best thing that ever happened to him. Getting Absolutely fired by the mirror. right. Imagine if Piers hadn't been fired, he'd still be editing that newspaper. Yeah, and can you imagine? Four hundred thousand copies a day. Yeah, yeah. Know, it would be an absolute disaster. Uh, He'd also be about the size of a house because he, he was getting nice. bigger and bigger and bigger the yeah. longer he stayed. There. He, he's a bit cyclical with his uh, well, diet. Well, we shall see. But he's yeah. got a house in Beverly Hills now. He's really a lot fit of work. when he started with Larry King. Mm. I think he had a personal trainer in, yeah, yeah. in uh, Los Angeles right. and he suddenly sort of was close to a six pack. Right. I'm not sure he ever got there, but, right. but now you know, well, so you much, know, I think he's, he's still a better shape than I am, so I'm saying nothing. I just think there's a lot of people who are who won't vote Labour, not just because of the Brexit, but also this bloody anti-Semitism yeah. thing that they can't shake off. Yeah. They can't. Well, there was vote a story the other day saying they're losing a hundred members a yeah, day. Yeah, yeah. That's day. been going on for a long that's time. That's a lot of people. So you don't hear people talking about how that's no. file size is growing because yeah. it isn't. But I think you'll just find, there'll be a lot of people, as Alex suggests, who just cannot, will not, won't vote Tory. Yeah. So they'll vote Lib Dem or they'll vote Green, which is what mm. I did last I can't time. say no, because they will not, in some... If you're talking about the north-east of England, which has been a very pro-Brexit area, they will not vote for any party that is remotely about Remain. They won't. So they won't vote for right. the Lib Dems. So I mean, they'll vote Brexit Party then? They might vote Brexit Party, but if the Brexit has already happened, yeah. and we've already left the European Union, yeah. they might not bother voting. Yeah. They might just go, you know what? Yeah. We've got what we wanted. We can't vote Tory. We're not going to vote Labour. Yeah. Um, so I don't know what happens then. I don't they, know how, do that, you know what? how that works out. I, I wouldn't blame a single one of them. No. You know, if, if, if Brexit's happened... Yeah. The day after that, people are going to be so fed up with the whole... You know, well, I've called for a national floor. holiday, you know, right? Yeah, it should be. I've a, called for a national holiday on November the 1st. A fortnight long one? No, just a, just a bank holiday. Yeah, you know, let's that's celebrate. good. So we can celebrate. You have celebrate. street parties up around this nice part of Islington. Yeah. You get Jez that's around, right, yeah. you know, with his... Uh, Sajid Javid's got his ceremony, <laughs> his, his, his commemorative <laughs> coin lined up. What is that all about, by the way? What's the yeah. point of a commemorative Honestly. coin? What's a nice and also with some ridiculous thing on it, like one of those Hallmark cards. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
Yeah, was yeah. it safe? Peace and prosperity Peace. to all nations yeah. and all that. Yeah, you've got to do a bit more than that, yeah. actually. You've actually course, got to come up with some economic policy. It's a 50p <laughs> coin, but the joke is that, of course, it'll be 42p by the time. <laughs> yeah, well, that's the thing. I just know there was like two million mirror readers that morning going, dirty bastard, what's dogging? What's dogging, yeah. <laughs>